<coughs> All right, ladies, welcome. It's that time of the week. It's a beautiful time of the week. It's when we learn uh, Tehillim. Clearly, you see that uh, from our pace. We're not rushing at all. We're satisfied to go through one chapter a week and to do it uh, in depth in order that we can uh, benefit from some of the wisdom of David HaMelech Alav Shalom. So we're up to 81. It's chapter Pe Aleph. I should have announced that 10 minutes ago to give you time to find it. But nonetheless, it is 81. It comes right after Pe. Pe Aleph. Usually the hardest part of the class, locating the chapter. <laughs> but now, now that you located it, we can start to analyze it. This is a special chapter. It's called Lam Naseyah Alagitit Le Asaf. So it's uh, one more from the Asaf collection. Uh, he's the author of the previous chapters as well. And uh, this is a chapter that says Alagitit. Now, what is a Gitit? So Rashi tells us, Klishir, it's an instrument. Habamigat. The instrument comes from the city of God, so they nicknamed it. The Gitit. We don't know exactly what the instrument is, but we just know the location where they produce the instrument. It is an instrument that comes from Gat. See, all these uh, songs that David Amelech or Asaf or whoever the composer of the piece is, not only did they write uh, the music, but they also told us what instrument would be the best instrument to play this, this song to. The Naseah is to the conductor, so they... Uh, they go to the conductor and they say, here's the music, and uh, this will go good with a gitit uh, uh, instrument, and then uh, they would sing it. Now, this song, you should know. You should know it from two places. You should know it from the weekday service, and you should know it from the high holiday service. This mizmor is the song that we sing uh, during the shir shel yom on Thursdays. I don't know if you make it to the end of the tefillah. I know ladies are not really obligated to pray the whole book. And they usually just skip around to the highlights. But if you make it to the end of the book of the prayer, you'll see, Hayom Yom Hamishi B'Shabbat Kodesh. Hashir Shehayu Halviim Omnim Al Adukhan. We say today is Thursday. And this is the song that the Leviim used to sing when they used to bring the Korban. Every day there was a different song that the Levim would sing in the Beit HaMikdash. This was the song of Thursday. So this is a chapter that well worth our while to understand because we say it every week. Not every chapter in the book do you have familiarity with, but this one you should have because it's a weekly chapter. We're going to be saying it tomorrow. Furthermore, it even gets more uh, important, the chapter, as this is the Mizmor of Rosh Hashanah. So look at that. Now we're in the, the major leagues. That means when we start Rosh Hashanah, uh, in our Mahzor, Rosh Hashanah starts with Ahot Ketana. We sing the, uh, the famous song, and then we go right into Lam Naseya Ala Gitit Asaf. So we're going to have to see what this has to do with Thursday, and what this has to do with Rosh Hashanah, and then the more important question, what this has to do with us. So let's begin. Harninu Leluhim Uzenu. First, the, the chapter is telling us to be harninu. What does harninu mean? Harninu means to sing. Sing to God, who is our force, our strength. And we know what hari'u means. Make a teru'ah, hari'u. And therefore we know which day we're talking about. We must be talking about Rosh Hashanah. Hari'u l'Elohei Yaakov. Sound, a blasting sound of teru'ah to the God of Jacob. Now there's a lesson over here. The lesson over here is, there's a big question in our behavior on Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara says that it's a very serious day. And uh, the, uh, the book of life and death is opened up. And therefore, there is no recitation of Hallel on Rosh Hashanah, even though it's a holiday. And almost every holiday that we have has a Hallel. 
There's no Hallel. How can we sing Hallel on such a serious day? But on the other hand, we do uh, sing songs and we do dress up in nice clothes and we eat festive meals and the Torah tells us to drink wine and to eat fatty meats and to send gifts to, the, uh, to, to each other and uh, it, it, it calls it a festival. So how do we reconcile that? So the rabbis come along and tell us because ultimately it's a day of judgment but when you walk into court and you look at the judge and you say, oh, that's my father. And so then you come along and say, well, it's... it's it's not so bad. <laughs> you know, how bad could it be? My father's the judge. And therefore, it's a, it's, a, it's a cause for us to not be in mourning or sad on the day. So there's a balance. It shouldn't be overly happy by singing the Hallel, but we do wear our fine clothes, and we do come to synagogue, and we're told to eat on Rosh Hashanah, a festive meal, and the men are told to take haircuts before the holiday, and everybody's asked to bathe and come, come dress properly. So that's what the Pasuk is saying. Harninu. Haninu means rejoice, be happy. Lelohim, Lelohim means judgment. That even though it's judgment, but Haninu, Lelohim, Ozenu. That the reason why we are, 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 are joyful on Rosh Hashanah, or happy, I should say, is because ultimately God is judging us, and God is our Father. Therefore, there's a reason for us not to be so sad. Hariu, Yaakov. And then, as we say, blow the shofar to the to the God of uh, the God of Yaakov. Now, the reason why this is a um, uh, 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 the song that we sing on Thursday, the Gemara says, because God in the creation of the world on Thursday, if you remember what He created, He created the fish and the birds. And uh, the fish and the birds are happy creatures, more happy. The Gemara says than other. I mean, birds are always chirping; they're always singing. And the fish, I guess we can't hear them because they're muffled under the water, but they're also singing. They're happy. And the, the Gemara actually says if somebody's born on a Thursday, their disposition will be happy uh, because they're born on the same day as the birds. And the reason why the, these creatures are happy is because all other creatures have to go search for their parnasah. But the birds have their parnasah all over the place. very easy for them to find their sustenance. I guess they peck away at everything. And the fish... I mean, I guess I'm not too aware it goes down under the water, but I'm sure there's a lot of food over there. And therefore, they're happy. And therefore, they're singing. And that's why it says, Hadninu leluhim ozenu. On Thursday is the day of renana. On Thursday is the day of song, is the day of joy for what, what was created on that day. And therefore, Thursday goes down to the day that's in the creation was already brought this kinyan of uh, singing and joy and happiness. And therefore, Thursday turns out to be a lucky day. I think if they say the two lucky days of the week are Tuesday and Thursday. Even the Syrians say that. You know, when you move into a house, you can move it on Tuesday. And if you can't move it on Tuesday, they, you should go Thursday's the next day. And there's a reason for Thursday. Because it's Hadminu. It's a day of song. And since the fish were created on that day also, and the fish we know are uh, tremendous, tremendous multiple, how many of them, and therefore there's Beracha on that day. Fine. So now the Pasuk says, the Pasuk is coming to tell us, Seuzimra means raise your voice up in song. Zimra, Zimra song. Seuzimra. Utnutof. Tof is the, the drum or the, uh, the tambourine. Kinor. You know what a kinor is? Kinor is like a harp. Kinor na'im. Im navel. A navel is a different type of uh, stringed instrument. Uh, maybe the kinor is the violin, and the navel is the harp. These are all different types of instruments that we have over here that we're talking about when we praise God in a simple interpretation. Take all the instruments you have. Take the tov, take the kinor, take the uh, However, I'd like to explain this uh, pasuk on a, on a very deep level, if you're up to it. If you're not up to it, we'll just go further, but usually our members are up to it, so I didn't want to deprive you from this uh, from this big hadush. Uh, the Kabbalists, uh, based on this pasuk, go into a lot of the uh, mystics behind music. 
And we know that music is a very, very important part of life. People are attracted to different type of music and song. And the, uh, the Kabbalists come along and say that one has to be very careful because if it's the wrong music and it's the wrong sounds, it can bring a person uh, to an attachment to the sitra hara, to, to wrong things. Uh, it means listening to wrong music is not only detrimental because the words are not appropriate or because the beat is not appropriate or because without, but it, it's in and itself, when the music enters the person's body, it brings him towards the, the tum'ah. You have to picture it like, just like they say, food, what you eat is able to cause a tum'tum halev because it goes into your body, well, song also enters your body through your ears. It's just that it's food that you eat from your ears instead of eating from your mouth. So song is the food of the ears. And if it enters, and if it's the wrong music, so it's going to have a negative effect on the person's soul. And the uh, hakamim come along and they say that the word for song is zemer. Zemer. Zimra, zemer. Now, if you... Uh, take the letters after Zemir in the alphabet. What's the letter after Zion? Chet. Beautiful. And what's the letter after Mem? Nun. And what's the letter after Resh? Shin. Now I know that word Hanash doesn't mean anything to you, but if you boggle Hanash, it spells Nahash. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, exactly. Now it's serious stuff. That means if it's the wrong Zemir, Zemir, the next progression of Zemir leads to Nahash. And we know that Nahash is represented to the Yitzhara and the Sitra Hara. I want to tell you something else. Everybody knows that the Yitzhara has two names. There's the male version and there's the female version. Since this is the ladies' class, we'll focus on the female version of it. The female version, which the Ura Haimakadosh testified, is much more severe than the male version. The Ura Haimakadosh had a dream that the Yetzirah and his wife came after him, and he said, I had an easy time subduing the male version of it, but the lady version was difficult, and she almost was able to overcome. And the Hakamim say uh, her name. I'm not going to say her name, but I'll give you the letters so you know it, is Lamed Yud, Lamed Yud, which spells Lili, and then, nothing wrong with that name. Huh? Uh, you can write it. Just I, You're not supposed to say it, because when you say it, you, she thinks you're calling, and then she comes, then we've got to deal with her. But it's, it's Lamed Yud, Lamed Yud, and then Taf. So it's Lili with a Taf at the end. It's the name of it. And... The numerical value of her name is 480. I know that number doesn't mean anything to you, but it is the same numerical value of the instrument where the beat comes from in a song. And the instrument where the beat comes is called a tof. Tof is taf peh, which is 480. And now you understand why rabbis are... It's 480. 480. Taf is 480. Tough. And now you understand why rabbis are not only concerned about the lyrics of a song, but they say it's not a kosher beat. And we don't know what they're talking about. A kosher beat. The beats have to be kosher now. I mean, uh, give us a break. Uh, everything has to be kosher now. And they say, yeah, it's not a Jewish beat. And I think we know what they're talking about. You know, sometimes it brings out the worst in people when you see these certain beats that come out and you start acting like animals. And uh, that's because they're connecting to the tough. And the tough has a big connection to this. Sitra Hara, the Yitzhara's feminine uh, uh, counterpart, and therefore we have to be concerned. Now, uh, so therefore the Pasuk is actually telling us about this danger, about bad music. And, and please, uh, on the way out, nobody asks me, but Rabbi, I listen to the Beatles, is that okay? I'm not answering questions. Ask your local Rabbi on the music that you're listening to. I, I come here to answer. I, 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 again, I agree. 1,000%, that's even worse. Because they took the Kiddushah and they put in it, uh, that's kosher bacon. 
Only problem is not kosher. That's the problem. It's unkosher bacon. So you, you, you raise a good point. But my point is, I didn't come to indict any of the, of, the, of the music people, but my point is, this is what the Pasuk is meaning according to the Kabbalist. Se'uzimra. Se'uzimra means lift yourself away from Zimra. Se'u, meaning leave it. Se'uzimra. Because if Zemir is connected to the Nahash, you must abandon it. Utnutof. Because if not, utnutof, you're giving strength to the tof, to the 480, to lamed yud, lamed yud. Otherwise, utnutof, you give power to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the forces of evil. Now, over here, it lists the names of the instruments for some reason. Kinor, na'im, imnabel. Kinor, na'im, a pleasant violin, imnabel with a, with a harp. The Kabbalists over here again come along and they say that uh, one has to be very, very careful from the attraction of the songs and the music of the Guim. Now, although our former chief rabbi, Rabbi Jacob Kassin, was of the opinion, and he was a great Kabbalist, so we have to take his opinion uh, seriously, that it is okay uh, to take, let's say, an Arabic song and elevate it and put Hebrew words to it and use it in the tefillah. He believed, as long as the you know, song is not some you know, beat and all that, but it's a, most of the classic Arabic songs are, you know, they're, they're not uh, such, such songs that have uh, the wrong beat. And therefore he believed that you were able to elevate some songs to Kiddushah. And he said it as Seuzimra. Seuzimra means elevate Zimra. We have a mitzvah to elevate. That's why when you go to our shuls, you'll notice that they'll sing Kaddish and they'll sing some song from Um Kalsum or Abdul Wahab or something like that. Say, hey, what's going on over here? That's, that's an Arabic song. And if you want to look at, Rabbi Kassin wrote a long essay on this in his introduction to the Pismon book. We used to have a red Pismon book. Uh, now they changed it to the blue one. They thought we when they came from Syria, the new immigrants, they thought we didn't have a Pismon book. So they said, hey, we're giving the community a Pismon book. Well, we said, we've been singing Pismon before you came from Halab. We had a red book. But they said, no, no, you got to use our blue book now. All right. But before they came, we had a red book. And if you look in the beginning of the red book, you have Rabbi Kassin's introduction. The blue book does not have it. The red book does. Anyway, I won't go into that politics of the red book and the blue book now. But anyway, look at it. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece over there. And he said, Se'uzimra, lift Lift the, lift the uh, Zimra. Now, uh, according to this, but the, the first uh, encounter in a big way that we had when we entered Eris Yisrael, they call it Eris Kena'an. And although Eris Kena'an means the land of Kena'an, which is a specific geographical place on the map, Kena'an, we know where that is. But Eris Kena'an is the generic name to the lands of the Goim. You don't have to only call... That place in the Middle East, it is Canaan, but it's a general uh, name for, you know, you could call America, I guess. It is Canaan. Uh, it's a general name for Goim. And the Kabbalists come along and say that one of the things you have to be careful when you enter Eris Canaan is not to be influenced from the, from the music. Uh, the Gemara talks about the Greek music, which people went off the derech listening to this music. It's called Zemer Yevani, Greek music. It was like, a, who knows what it did to them? I'm not, I'm not too sure. It can't be worse than rap. But it, it was definitely did something to, to it. So therefore the Hakamim say in Kabbalah that if you take the word Kena'an, if you're writing it in your notes, Kena'an, Chaf, Nun, Ayin, Nun, Kena'an actually is Rashi Tevot. Kinor, Na'im, Im, Navel. Which hints to us, uh, see that? Okay, we finally got a reaction out of our members. It takes a lot to get a reaction out of you people. Baruch Hashem, Shechianu. Finally we got a reaction. I'm saying such big hadushim and everybody just nods their head. We got a wow. So, so yeah, God bless you that you're able to hold back. I give you credit. I cannot hold back from these hadushim. You have a lot of resistance. But anyway, Kena'an is Rashetevot Kinonaimemnabu, which hints to us that that's one of the most serious uh, things that we should be concerned from Kena'an. It's their music and it's their instruments. And if we're talking about their instruments and their music, it's the places uh, where they. Uh, uh, play their music, of course, then it leads you to their party places, and then it's an entrance into their lifestyle. And it, again, this is a class that we came to interpret Tehillim. So, but if I was in my shul, where I have a little more 
exactly, a little more leverage and leeway to talk about whatever I want, from here I would segue into saying that uh, it, we might have to question uh, the legality of bringing Canaan uh, into the Beta Knesset. You know, for our weddings and our parties, uh, we hire a DJ who brings Canaan, Kinon Naim Nabel, into the Beta Knesset. But again, uh, we don't sing Um Kalsum, that's oh, why. No, because we don't sing it. When do we ever sing Um Kalsum? No, but you, you sing their music. No, we, 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 I said we elevate it. We take their music, which is Hol, and we add Hebrew words to it. We forget about their uh, love song, whatever they were involved in, and we sanctify it. Jews do this all day long. It shouldn't be. You, when I asked you before about the music, you said that only even the sound of it. Oh, so, so I, I, I think I qualified myself. And I said, exactly, we're not taking the modern uh, pop Arabic uh, music and putting words to it, because that might have already the wrong sound. But these songs that the Hachamim picked chose uh, songs that, although the music was correct, but the words were not. So there's different parts of a song. You could have a song that has good words with bad music, bad music, good words, or you could have songs that are corrupted everything. And therefore... Well, of course they have to know. They should know it's it. It's like in weddings, you hear music from movies. And it doesn't sound too good to the ear. Right. Yeah, they, well, then maybe they don't know it. But again, this is not a, a class that I'm going to rant on Hazanim and on, you know, uh, DJs in the shuls. But it would, be, it, would, it would be definitely a good segue to do that now, but I will control myself. You, I think you get the point that you should be concerned about uh, the music that you listen to. So. Well, you know, that's... Uh, that's, a, that's, that's one of the tricks of the trade. All right, where are we? Kino and I ask Kina. You don't have to make it quick. Nabil. Yes. You're asking, sounds like Naval? Yeah, well, uh, uh, I mentioned it. Um, so the rabbit is, 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 is now seeing the word Navil. I mean, you know that Navil, which is a harp, which is a very pop word, also sounds like a very yeah. not nice word, Naval, which was. But the Hachamim of Kabbalah actually say deeper, now that you brought it up. And they say that one day, Bore uh, Olam is going to hold the Goyim liable for all the corruption that they brought to the world and the music that they brought to the world, which is definitely. I don't have to say today, uh, the music today, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the vulgarity and obscenes. Who, who thought that songs have to be rated? You know, you thought all songs are good, but now songs already are considered uh, obscene. And uh, they're going to have to pay for that. And the Kabbalists say the word navel uh, is actually like we say in the Tefillah every day. Navel, la'asot, nekama, begoim, that there's going to be a day that they're going to have to be held uh, accountable. So yes, to your point, there's definitely something in the word, navel. Now, let's go to the next pasuk. Tik'u b'chodesh shofar. B'kese liyom hagenu. So here we get into Rosh Hashanah, right there. So uh, if we just said that all these instruments that have definitely connection to the sitra hara. So God says, but there's one instrument that is uh, above any connection to any evil, and that's the instrument called the shofar. And if, although you have to be careful from the kinor, from the navel, from the tof, all those instruments can get you in trouble. But there's one instrument, no matter what you do with it, you know, unless you bang somebody over the head with it, you can't, uh, you can't get into trouble. And that is what? The shofar. And that's why the Pasuk says, There's one month a year that we blow the shofar. And, uh, Now, that's the part we need to explain. It doesn't tell us which month we're going to blow the shofar. It just says, uh, One month. Now, we know it. it's Rosh Hashanah month, which is Tishri. But how would you deduce that from the, from the Pasuk? So, if you look at... Uh, the Gemara, the Gemara will say, Bakese. What does the word Kese mean? Hidden. Very good. 
Kesem means Kisui. There's one holiday that the moon is hidden. Exactly. Because all our holidays customarily are in the middle of the month, where the moon is actually full. On the 15th of the month, that's when you have a full moon, when all the lunatics come out. Luna is Luna, the moon. The lunatics come out when the full moon. But the point is that Rosh Hashanah is one of the few holidays that the moon is Bekese. So therefore, that's how you know what the Gemara says. Which month has a holiday that is at the time of Kese, at the time that the moon is covered? It has to be Rosh Hashanah, which is on the first of the month, where actually you don't see too much of the moon at all. And that's why it says in that month, Tichu Bachodesh Shofar. Now there's another play on this, Tichu Bachodesh Shofar. Bakese can sound like uh, the word Kise. Uh, it's not spelled the same, but it could sound like it. And we know that Kise is the Kise HaKavod. And that's when God is sitting on the Kise HaMishpat, the chair of judgment and judging the world. And therefore, when Bekese, at the time that God's sitting on the Kise, and we know that that's on the high holidays, which is Rosh Hashanah. Uh, there might be yet uh, another uh, interpretation over here when it says, And again, I introduced the Kabbalists as brought down by Hatam Sofer. I mean, the way they looked at these Pesukim is so incredible. They looked at every letter and every word, and they saw so many things that the amateur eye would just miss and leave it, leave it over. But when David wrote this, he wrote it with the Ruach HaKodesh, so there's so much... Uh, in between the lines and in between the letters that you have to catch. So, there is a, <clears throat> a saying that says that God is going to whiten our sins like snow. It's a pasuk in the Navi, it says, Im hata'achem, uh, kashani, If your sins will be red, like crimson, red, which is a sign of judgment, God will whiten them like shelig. Well, anything that's white always represents purity and uh, teshuvah and uh, being clean. And the color red always represents judgment. You know, stop sign is red for a reason. Stop. Uh, red is danger. And white usually is something that is uh, hesed, kindness, and something that's easy. And therefore, the Rav writes that the real day days where we work on cleaning ourselves are the days from uh, Rosh Hashanah till the end of Sukkot. That's really the high holiday season. It's one clip of the year uh, from the first day of Tishri until the last day of Sukkot, which is exactly 22 days. That's the 22-day season, including, you know, from beginning to end. So he says, it is those 22 days of the year that actually whiten the rest of the year. They clean up all the you know, all the, uh, all the other days of the year for us. It's, it's the whitening. It's the detergent of the year. And he brings an emis to this. How many days are there in the year? Don't say 365. I, I caught you. It, we believe in the, in the lunar calendar. The lunar calendar has 355 days. There's an 11-day difference between the lunar calendar and the solar calendar. We'll learn that another time. But it's 355. Uh, you're going to ask me how to remember that? I know you know, 365, you don't need a hint to remember it because you, you learned that for 100 years. But 355 is going to be uh, a trick. So I'll teach it to you what the rabbis say. How do you say year in Hebrew? Shana. Shana, that's how you remember it. Sheen, nun, he. Sheen is 300, nun is 50, and he is 5. So that's why we call it a Shana. We call it a Shana It's because a, a, a lunar Shana has Shana days uh, in it. That's, that's something to remember. Now, 22 of those days are the cleaning days where we cleanse ourselves from our sins. The 22 days from Rosh Hashanah to the end of Sukkot. So therefore, says Hatam Sufet, if you subtract 22 from 355, I did the math before I came, you will get 333, which actually is the numerical value of the word Shelek. 
Shelek Shin Lamid Gimal. So therefore, the Torah is coming to tell us that it is these 22 days of the year that bring us to purity and cleanliness and Shelek, which is the rest of the 30 days. Now, there's something else uh, that should be said. Uh, the Kabbalists write uh, a, a, a cryptic statement, and they say, Dam Naasa Halav. Please give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say it, but don't don't jump. Dam Naasa Halav means the blood will become milk. What is that? When does blood ever become milk? Now, if this was a biology class, which it isn't, I would explain it according to the biology. And the Zohar talks about this extensively in the Gemara. Nida talks about it extensively. That uh, a lady who's nursing uh, will not uh, see her dam nida. And the Gemara says because the dam becomes halav. Uh, that's a biology. Uh, you don't have dam and halav together. When there's halav, there's no dam. And when there's dam, there's no halav. It's a biological phenomenon, and there's a reason for it. But based on uh, the, Kabbalah, the Kabbalah looking at dam as judgment and halab as mercy, so they say, when we go into Rosh Hashanah, it's judgment, it's dam. But by the time the holiday ends, we've uh, sweetened the judgments from red, and now the color becomes white. And if you remember, even on Kippur, they put the red crimson string and when they threw the Sa'id off the mountain, the red crimson would turn white. And that's what the Kabbalah says. Look at this. Which they say, the red became white. And if red becomes white, that means you're forgiven. Now look at what the Hatam Sofer saw in these words. You see it? Oh, you don't see it? You didn't catch it? I'll say it again. This is referring to the month of Tishri, the month where judgment uh, is sweetened through Teshuvah. What's the first word of Bakese? Bet. And the first letter of Leom is a Lamed. And the first letter of Hagenu, what does that spell? Chet, Lamed, Bet. Halav. Halav represents the milk. And therefore, those words that she tevot backwards is halav. Hinting to us that as a result of these days, the judgments become halav, and therefore we have, uh, we have, a, we have a, a moment of, uh, of mercy. So that's, uh, that's that. Uh, oh, I didn't see dam, I just said it. But I'm, I'm just, we're just talking about the result. We don't see the, uh, we don't see the other. Now, Wouldn't be complete, uh, this uh, pasuk, if I didn't introduce to you uh, the thoughts of Rabbi Nachman from Breslov. And he also has uh, uh, an opinion on this pasuk over here. And he was one of the greats. Therefore, uh, in his book, Likuteh uh, Muharan, he has a whole piece on this pasuk, And he says something, uh, something amazing. He writes like this. Are you familiar with the Gemara that says that when God created uh, the sun and the moon, so uh, it says he created the Me'orot HaGedolot. It says he created the big luminaries. And then in the next pasuk it says, The big one and the small one. So the Gemara says, hold it, you just told me they were both big. And now you're telling me the big one and the small one? What happened? So the Gemara says that originally the sun and the moon were created, you know, as, uh, as equal. And then the moon complained. And the moon said, hey, listen, God, two, two, uh, two kings, two cooks in the kitchen, two kings in the, in the solar system. So God said, you know, something, you're right. Therefore, you become, you minimize yourself and we'll keep the sun, you know. You open your big mouth, so therefore, good idea, and therefore, you got to eat it. So, so the, the moon was offended. The moon said, I don't understand. I didn't say anything wrong. I said something correct. And because I say something correct, therefore I should be punished. So God says, all right, let me appease the moon. 
And the Gemara goes on to a whole list of appeasements that God gave the moon. God said, okay, uh, you're going to come out during the day and the night. The sun will only come out during the day. Sometimes you see the sun, I mean, sometimes you see the moon during the day. That's not enough. Uh, and you're going to have stars, zillions of stars as an entourage. That's uh, not enough. The tzaddikim are going to nickname themselves after the moon. Hakatan is a nickname after the moon. Shemuel Hakatan, Yaakov Hakatan. No, it's not enough. And whatever God was trying to give the moon as a compensation, the moon kept on saying, ah, I'm still upset. So God finally said, well, I can't appease the moon. And therefore the pasuk says, I must bring a sacrifice, a korban hatat, in order to atone for what I did to the moon. And therefore the pasuk says, Haviu alai kapara. God says, bring for me kapara. This is amazing kapara. As if God saying, I sinned. I don't want to say it too loud. Uh, and he says, I, I got to bring kapara because, you know, listen, I offended the, I, I offended the moon. <laughs> it's an amazing story. And therefore, what happens? If you look at the, the time or, or the place in the Torah where we, we, we read about this story, how God brought a atonement for what he did to the moon, it's actually, we read it in the maftir of Rosh Hashanah. And it says in the maftir of Rosh Hashanah, Va'asitem Se'ir Hatat And bring a Se'ir Hatat Which every holiday we always bring animals to atone But it says Se'ir Hatat Ehad Lahashem It's the only time it says A, a, a sin offering Lahashem And the Gemara says Because the, the sin offering on Rosh Hashanah Is not only for us But it's also Lahashem that's God's kapara for, the, for what he did. Says Rabbi Nachman from Breslov, why would we mention that on Rosh Hashanah? And he says, because that is our entrance and ability to ask God for forgiveness. Because now we can come to God and say, if even you need forgiveness, God Almighty, so therefore we're not God. And therefore that episode of God needing kapara is a... Uh, 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 um, it's an, it, it allows us, otherwise, we, we made sins. What gives us your right to come along and ask for a pardon? You sinned against the king. You shouldn't have a, 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 a clemency. The Rabbi Nachman says, yeah, but we could say, God, you're God, and you did something that you needed kapara. So if God needs kapara, so certainly we're human beings, we're, we're flesh and blood, certainly we should be able to ask forgiveness for our sins. And God says, the truth of the matter is, if I need kapara, and I, and I, and I get kapara by bringing a korban, you should get kapara as well. And that's why on Rosh Hashanah, we specifically uh, have the holiday, he says, on the day that the moon is diminished. That's part of the tikkun. Because on the fact that the moon is diminished, that reminds of what he did to the moon. And that he himself said he needs kapara. And then God becomes merciful and says, listen, what can I expect from my children? If I myself need kapara, so therefore, they're not me. Therefore, certainly have to give them kapara itself. So that's a, that's a piece. And, and he learns it, he learns it from the following pesukim. Look how he reads it. Blow the shofar. On the, on the day that the moon is covered. Now look at the next pasuk. This is the, uh, the day where the Jewish people uh, have the right to come to God and ask for forgiveness. You know why? Because it's also the day where God, the Elohei Yaakov, has his mishpat, his judgment. Since it's a day of mishpat, the Elohei Yaakov, Therefore, it becomes a holiday for the Jewish people. We, we take advantage of the fact that God needs mishpat also. We always thought, Anusha, the only one on trial on Rosh Hashanah is us. But little did we know <coughs> that God himself put himself on trial. It's not only a mishpat for the Jewish people, it's a mishpat to Elohei Yaakov. And if, if Elohei Yaakov needs a mishpat, so then we have no problem to come to God and say, hey God, we also need mishpat. So that's the, the way Rabbi Nachman understands the pasuk. All right, now we go further. Now we talk about how Rosh Hashanah actually was a lucky day way before we celebrated Rosh Hashanah. You know, this day in history, a lot of great things happened on Rosh Hashanah. One of them, happened to our ancestor, Yosef HaSadiq. 
Everybody knows that he was thrown into jail. Do I have to remind you of that episode? He was working for uh, Potiphar. He was a young boy, 17 years old. He was very handsome. And uh, Potiphar's wife, Zolicha, we know her name from the Midrash. And she um, was uh, involved in a seduction, trying to uh, uh, entice Yosef into making a uh, inappropriate uh, behavior, let's put it that way. And the Pasuk says, Yom Yom, it was day in and day out. And she would have all sorts of, you know, uh, schemes in order to try to, you know, catch Yosef, whether it was flirtatious, whether it was her clothes, or different ways. And Yosef Asadik, of course, stayed true to his Kiddushah and his Tahara, and did not succumb to the uh, uh, advances of uh, Eshet Potiphar. And then we all know that she then framed him and said, oh, you brought this Jewish kid into the house and look what he did to me. And, and of course, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was, uh, wasn't true. The charges were false. But since she was an important lady, they couldn't just disregard her, even though everybody knew that Yosef was a Sadiq. Everybody knew that she was lying, but they couldn't tell her that she was lying. So they put Yosef in, in prison. And he languished, that's the wrong word, he, he was in, language means he, would, you know, he became weak and, 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 and tired, but really he didn't, he really succeeded in prison, and he was there for 12 years. When did he get released? On Rosh Hashanah. So therefore, Rosh Hashanah is a great day. Already it has a, a day that has in its uh, feature, Geulat to the Tzadikim. Yosef was let out of prison on Rosh Hashanah. So that's a good omen for his children. That if Yosef was let out on that day, Therefore, and prison represents a judgment. Yosef was released from his judgment, and therefore that would be a good uh, 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 karma for the future that the Jewish people, the children of Yosef, would also be released from their prison, from their judgments, from their sins, which is like a prison, and they would get released as well. So that's, a, that's good stuff. Now, uh, therefore, I'll explain to you how we, how we have this pasuk over here. The pasuk says, Edut. Edut is literally mean testimony. Be Hosef Samo. If you have Rashi in front of you, on those words, Edut, be Hosef. Now I know we call him Yosef, but for some reason this chapter calls him Yehosef. Don't ask me. That's his new name now. It's Yehosef. Samo. Be Rosh Hashanah, Rashi says, Yasa Yosef, Mebet Asurim. He came out of jail. And what does the end say? That's the day Yosef started to come out to Egypt. It was that day he eventually became the king. Yosef's coming out, was on that day. That God placed Yosef into the role of king on that day. Now what does that mean? A language I did not understand. I will Perceive, sefat lo yadati, eshma. A language that I did not understand, I perceived. So Rashi quotes from the Midrash, amazing story. Yosef was in prison. Now as far as we know, he spoke Lashon HaKodesh, he spoke Hebrew. He was a Hebrew. And uh, the tradition was that Paro was a linguist. It says he knew 70 languages. Well, actually, 69 languages, to be exact. And there was a rule in Egypt that the one that knows the most languages is the ruler. So he, 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 he didn't get the rulership only because he was a powerful guy, but he had language. He must have been a smart guy, 69 languages. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to know. Uh, and it says that his, his, um, his throne had 70 steps. And whenever you wanted to talk to Paro, based on how many languages you knew, that's what step you stood on. And nobody could ever get to the top because nobody knows more languages than Paro. Anyway, the night before Yosef was let out of prison, God dispatched uh, the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel was able to teach Yosef 70 languages in one night. That's better than Rosetta Stone. Uh, 70 languages in one night, that's, not, that's, a, that's an accomplishment. And the Gemara wants to know, 
how was he able to learn 70 languages in one night? So he, was, he was struggling. So it says that the angel Gabriel added the letter He to Yosef's name. The letter He in Kabbalah represents Bina. Bina means wisdom, intuition. And therefore, now that he had the letter He in his name, his brain just opened up. So that's why the Pasuk says, Edut bi Yehosef Samo. God, the angel turned his name from Yosef to Yehosef. That's what it means, Edut bi Yehosef. That's referring to his name with the hair. And why did he need the extra hair? When he came down to Egypt, I didn't know any languages. But I was able to understand it that night from the angel Gabriel when he taught it to me. How are we learning the Pasuk? Edut is a testimony. We're trying to say that there's a testimony on the greatness of this day, of Rosh Hashanah, that it was earmarked already for great things from the beginning of time. And the testimony is that could happen to Yosef many years before. Now, I must tell you the way I heard from Acham Baruch, the way he interpreted this Pasuk uh, many years ago uh, in the yeshiva. He explained it uh, as follows. So what happens, you remember when Yosef came out of prison and the first thing he goes to uh, Paro and Paro had a dream. That was the reason why Yosef got out because they, he had a dream with the cows and all that stuff and uh, they told him, oh, the, the, the butler said, hey, there's a guy in prison, he's a great dream interpreter, uh, he can interpret your dreams. So it says he came out of the, of the, of the, of the, of the prison and Paro tells uh, Yosef, I had a dream. Now, he was so clever, this guy, Paro, besides the languages that he had. He specifically changed the dream and did not give precise details of the dream in order to confuse Yosef. If the guy's so smart, not only let him tell me the interpretation, let him tell me the dream. You know, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, what's hurting you? You say, you're the doctor. I'm not telling you. You figure, figure there's old timers. They don't, want to, they don't want to give any help to the doctor. If you're a real doctor, eh, tell me what's hurting me. Why should, I, why should I give you a hint? So <laughs> over here, it's worse. <laughs> he went to the doctor, and the, and the guy tells him, my arm is hurting. Meanwhile, he has a headache. Now he has to figure out that it's not the arm, or he has a headache. That's a, that's a trick. So Paro is going to now change some details and to see if Yosef is going to, to catch it. Now, the rabbi would tell us, listen to the way the dream happened. The Pasuk says, Paro had a dream, I'm reading in, in the Miketz. Where was Paro standing? What is Al Hayor? He was standing on the Nile. Now don't ask me, girls, how could a person stand on the Nile? It's a dream. In a dream, you can do anything, by the way. So therefore, he's standing in his dream, Al Hayor. So far, so good? Now listen to the way when he tells the dream over to Yosef. I had a dream. Nobody can interpret it. I heard about you. So in my dream, he says, I was standing on the side of the Yeor. By the way, Yosef says, no, no, you weren't standing on the front of Yeor. You were standing on Yeor. So Paro says, this guy's good. This guy's good. And that's what the Pasuk says, al eres mitzrayim. What did Yosef tell Paro? Sefat lo yadati. I don't know what you're talking about when you say, Sfat You were not on the banks of the river. You were alayor. That's the first thing he told you. Paro, sefat lo yadati. I don't know what you're talking about when you say sefat. And therefore Paro said, eshma. Okay, let me, now let me listen to you because you, you, you know. You see how unbelievable what, what, what happened over here? He, he, didn't, he didn't get tricked by Paro. All, all the other people, they were just too busy trying to figure out the interpretation. And Yosef was saying, hey, before I interpret it, you have to give me an accurate account of what happened. And if you were alay or, then don't tell me you are on Sfat or It's different. And Paro said, oh, you're right. I was alay or. And he said, yeah, I know. You tell me Sfat, Sfat lo yadati. I don't know what you're talking about. And that's, that, that's what convinced Paro that he actually was a, uh, 
a, a good, legitimate uh, interpreter of dreams. Okay, now we move on to. Uh, I don't want to miss anything over here. Oh. Yes. My contract doesn't say that we have to finish the chapter, you know. It just says I should try to give it my best shot to explain as best as I can whatever pistol came we get. So no, nobody should have claims that, hey, I joined this group over here and they said you're teaching us Tehidim and you give us only four pistol came, I want my money back. It, this is what we're doing. We're studying uh, the quality over quantity and... If you want to have a, a, a perusha te'ilim, then just go open English and you get the English uh, translation. You don't need to do that. So I want to say another deeper interpretation for this, uh, for this pasuk over here. So where did the hair come from in Yehosef? That's what I want to talk about now. Edut bi Yehosef. So the first interpretation, I said Gabriel added the hair to his name to give him a, uh, you know, a, a, a chip in his brain that he'll all be able to understand 70 languages. And incidentally, there's a remez in this pasuk, pasuk vav. What letter does pasuk vav start with? Pasuk vav, that's the pasuk of ayin. And what pasuk does it end with? Ayin. And ayin is 70. And the rabbis come along and say that in the beginning of the pasuk, he didn't know the 70 languages, and by the end of the pasuk, he knew the 70. So there's a, there's a remez of the, of the 70 and the 70. It starts with an ayin and ends with an ayin. In the beginning of the pasuk, Paro was the only guy that knew the 70. By the end, no, Paro only knew 69. By the end, uh, Yosef knew. Every, every letter of these pasukim are significant. It starts with an ayin and ends with an ayin. Ayin is 70. Now, there's no end. There's no end. There's no end. And if you think that after we finish the class, we've exhausted, I'm telling you, we just touched, we scratched the surface. We could talk about this pasuk for 100 years and we wouldn't even scratch the surface then. But we have to just say the, the, the highlights. So now I'll introduce you with our terms of faces from the Kabbalah. But before I get to the Kabbalah, because we should go in steps, I'll tell you what the Gemara Sotah says first. Why did they add the letter He to Yosef's name? So the Mepharshim say like this. When a couple gets married, so they say that the Shekhinah is amongst them. And they say that God's name is amongst them. And the, the way you say a man in Hebrew is Ish, and the middle letter of Ish is a Yud. And the way you say lady is Isha. And the last letter of Isha is here. And the Hachamim say that the, the letters Yud care are, are, are the letter, God's name, that represent Ish ve Isha, Shezaku, that have a merit to be faithful to each other. When there's faithfulness in a marriage, the Yud care is like God's. <laughs> Forgive me, it's like the OU is the food. The Yudke is the name of God, is the symbol that represents faithful marriages. So if there's a faithful marriage, you'll see a Yudhe in there. That's already, you know, in, 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 on food, you look for the OU. In marriages, you look for the Yudke. When somebody comes and tells me about a couple, I said, Do they have a Yudke? Oh, they have a Yudke. They're kosher. Okay, good. Yudke is the symbol of, of, uh, of kosher. And there's a reason for it. Uh, one day I'll tell it to you. But that's, the, that's it's part of God's name, Yudke. And any time there's faithfulness, God's Yudke will be present. In the case of Yosef, when he overcame the temptation of Eshet Potiphar, he did not succumb to the uh, temptation, and therefore at that point, he earns the certification Yudke. And that's why the first two letters now of Yosef's new name is Yehosef, which is Yudke. That's the certification. You overcame that. Uh, so nobody should quite... How do we know he overcame it? Well, he's got the yud yeah. He's got the OU in his name. So therefore, what, what, what's the question? So that yud is significant also telling us the level of, of Yosef's uh, purity. But there's a... Wow, time flies. There's a, there's, there's, there's a third interpretation I'll bring to your attention now. And that is... The, uh, the Hakamim come along and say... That every, every nation has a guardian angel that controls that nation in the heavens. 
except the Jewish people, we don't have a guardian angel. God is our protector. And that's what we say in Alinu Shabayah every day. Shelo asanu ki You did not make us like the rest of the goyim. The rest of the goyim are being controlled. God dispatches an angel, handle them. But when it comes to us, Bani Olam takes care of us directly. Ki Yaakov God chooses us directly. Our helik is not like their helik. Ki helik Adonai Amo. We are the helik of God. Their helik belongs to the angels. And we have books that actually tell us the names of some of these angels. We know their names. Not that any of you care what their names are, but we have their names. When it comes to the angel that controlled Egypt, his name was, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, I'm allowed to say it. his name was Rahav, Resh Hebet. It's all over the Kabbalah, they talk about this uh, force. Rahav, Resh Hebet. I don't know if you read Az Yashir. Do you read Az Yashir in the morning? So in Az Yashir, it says, those that were chasing us, God threw them in the depths of the sea. And part of the one that got thrown into the depths of the sea was Rahav. And they said, That at the end, you know, not only did Egypt get down, but we brought down the, the force. But way before that, something happened. Rahab is a power of Tum'ah. How do I explain this to you? So now, the only way to overcome the forces of Tum'ah is through a force of Kiddushah. Where there's Kiddushah, the forces of Tum'ah are mitigated. That's the way it works. You can't get rid of the force of Tum'ah with a nuclear weapon. You have to fight fire with fire. And since these are spiritual energies... You need a, a counterpart. You need a a reverse. Tum'ah can only be a, a, overcome by Tahara by Kiddushah. You need a, what, what do I say? You need to neutralize it. And the way it's neutralized is through Kiddushah. Yosef comes down to Egypt. And Yosef comes down to Egypt. He does two things. Two things happen. First of all, he overcomes Eshet Potiphar, which was like an explosion of Kiddushah like you can't imagine. Shortly after that, okay, he goes to jail. When he comes out, all of a sudden, there's seven years of plenty in Egypt. And then the rest of the world is in famine, and the only place in the world that has sustenance is Egypt. And the Kabbalists say, that's all in the Zichut of Yosef. On that day that Yosef overcame uh, his temptation, it brought tremendous shefa to that region of the world, and eventually would bring Shefa to Bnei Israel as well. Now the Kabbalah explains how it worked, what happened. Do you know how you say uh, wheat in Hebrew? Hita, I got it. But you know the most sophisticated word? Bar. You remember it says when Yaakov wanted to tell his kids to go down to Egypt, it says, Lishbor Bar. To go down the Shbor Bar to bring, to bring us Bar, Bar is food, sustenance, wheat, because Egypt was the only place that had it. What happened? After Yosef overcame Eshet Potiphar, the hair of Rahav came out. That means he got weakened, and the hair of Rahav moved to Yosef. And therefore, what was he left with? Bar. So now, all of a sudden, <laughs> Rahab, which was supposed to be the negative energy, Yosef's Kedushah was able to first steal the hair. And that's why, by the way, when Yosef is telling the brothers to eat, he says, Heh lachem zera. Heh lachem could mean hair. No, hair, but hair means it is from the hair. Heh lachem zera. From the hair of Rahab that I took, lachem zara. That's where you have zara. And now, that's why Yaakov Abinu, Allah Shalom, 
uh, when he when he when he tells the brothers, and we'll conclude with this, he says, "Go down to Egypt, because I heard ki shever b'mitzrayim." Shever means literally there's sustenance in Egypt. If I go down, shever means food. But the Kabbalists say, I hear or I feel that there's shever b'mitzrayim. Shever also could mean something something broke, something's broken. Yaakov sensed that Rahab is weak. The, the forces of Rahab are weak. Now, at that point, he wasn't sure who weakened it because he didn't know Yosef was alive. He didn't know that it was his son that actually was able to weaken the forces initially of, of Rahab. And that's what it means when it says, Edut, be Yosef, be Yosef. So then we have three explanations where the, the hair came. Either the hair came from Gabriel, so he'll have a you know, language uh, 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 you know, uh, upgrade, or the hair came from God testifying that Yosef was uh, ethically and, and, and morally pure, it's the Yud care, or the hair actually came from Rahab, like the Adam Sofer says, and therefore this was a sign of the weakening of the forces of Egypt, and ultimately it says, ultimately they would uh, get uh, drowned in the waters. All right, we'll stop over here, and we'll continue this uh, another time.